Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christofferson, Michael Brunts, and we are excited to talk about the American League pennant race today. Brunts, how do you feel about the A's? Sad. BC, how do you feel about the Twins? I feel fine, despite your... Uh, I, I, I feel like you're trying to make me feel like I should be nervous all the time, kind of. <laughs> it's much more fun, I feel like, and, and I can't explain this particularly well. It is always more fun to me in sports to be the one that is doing the chasing than the, the team that rushes out ahead like the Twins did to a, you know, a little bit of a house of cards lead in the AL Central. Because of the fear of like an epic collapse. Yes. Yeah. You guys, are you guys' teams ever going to play anybody? Or is that just... Look at this guy. <laughs> this played guy's... you. Lost. This guy's Five lost. out of six times. Yep. This guy's You're jabbing welcome. the AL Central is what he's doing. Look, I mean, <laughs> the, the A's... Happened to it's catch like the, the Indians. It's at like the, the worst big time. Ten, you guys are like the Pac-12 of Major League Baseball. I resent that conference comment. champions. The Indians are a cool seven and seven against teams over five hundred <laughs> since mm, June, I think. The A's have beaten more teams above five hundred than the Indians have played this year. Yeah, they're playing a twenty. I told you this. They're playing a twenty-game stretch right now. You 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 quickly went to the oh they don't make the schedule. Well, they don't make the schedule. They don't, but it's still crap. Well, what do you want me to do about it? Acknowledge For, that you haven't beaten anybody. I have, repeatedly. <laughs> For those listening. Like multiple times. There's a good chance the three of us won't be talking to each other as like soon as a week or two. Yeah. September 1, probably. Yeah. It's going to get a little tense on the old podcast. Yeah. We might need to yeah. bring a fourth person on the pod <laughs> that we can all talk to. That's kind of like the it's point of comedic relief guy. Would yeah. you relay this? Yeah. To Bronze, I have something to say to him. Tell Schaefer I want to say this about football. <laughs> we'll take applications for someone that either doesn't care about baseball or supports an NL team. Yeah. It has to be one of those two things. Yep. Well, there has not been much happening uh, with Nebraska football. Uh, we we learned a little bit about Maurice Washington's situation uh, last week. Um, what can you Can you give us a rundown, Brian, on what we do know? And what we don't know. Well, what we know is the timeline now has his next uh, appearance set for the first week of September, which is like four days after the opener, three or four days after the opener, between the South Alabama and Colorado game. Of course, this complicates the whole deal uh, and probably adds to the thought that he might not be available for at least the beginning of the season. The part to consider here is they could be working out something behind the scenes. I don't know when that gets resolved, but uh, certainly uh, it's probably taken a little bit longer than I thought it would to, to figure this all out, and I'm guessing maybe than they thought it would over in North Stadium. Uh, that said, we do know that Maurice Washington is going to partake in fall camp from what Scott Frost uh, said at media days, and then they just got a decision to make after that um, as to, I guess, when the resolution comes in, what do you do? Is there a penalty and all that? But if it's not solved, I kind of have the feeling he's not going to play till it's solved, but I don't know that for sure. It, yeah. seemed, it seemed like at Big Ten media days that Scott Frost was anticipating that there would be resolution by the time that first game rolled around. It's is, possible. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and it's still possible, I think, right? I mean, I, I'm not, I never claim to be a legal scholar on the. <laughs> I'm not, How many John Grisham books have you read? Yeah, I've zero. So that, that's and You got nothing. I, I don't even know why we're having you right talk now. about yeah, this. Yeah, you talk. 
I've read a lot of John Grisham, and well. I can tell you this much. His case was not covered in any of those books. No. Oh. But uh, strangely, though, Susan Sarandon <laughs> is somehow involved in the Maurice Washington case. She's definitely going to be in the made-for-TV movie on this whole thing somehow. Uh, I I happen to just kind of take Frost, I guess, at his word. Maurice Washington, when he's in town, when he's around, will be functioning like everybody else at the uh, fall camp coming up starting here this week. And so I anticipate that, like BC, that they're working towards some sort of resolution, whether that happens or not. I guess the most interesting thing would be, is he available early in September if he does have to make that next court appearance, which I think is the day after Labor Day on September 3rd. So it is a, a situation that obviously the Nebraska coaches would like to know going in, but it would be really interesting. Can you guys envision at all that he would play? I... I mean, this is just all guesswork. Yeah, it is. I do, we I don't, don't know anything. No, not really. But yeah. Maybe, but maybe they. I mean, they could view it, I guess, as you know, um, you're innocent until right. until proven guilty, and it's still playing out. So he's going to play until there's some sort of verdict on this deal. Yeah. Um, so I, it's hard to say, but it it puts him in a bind. I mean, it it is like a little bit. Of a distraction, I think they're pretty good about blocking stuff out. But you would have to say this is the first kind of off the field kind of really distraction they've had to deal with since they've been on the staff. And so it'll be it'll be something that people are going to talk a lot about as we get close to that first game. I mean, I guess the one thing I mean, you don't need him for South Alabama more than likely. Um, Yeah. So I mean, it's I don't think that'll that that. That part of it doesn't factor into the the decision that Scott Frost is going to make, I don't think. But I mean that that's the one, I guess, saving grace if you're looking at the on the field stuff is that you know you're probably going to be able to get past South Alabama just fine without him. But yeah, I mean it, it just seemed to me like from listening to Scott Frost in Chicago, it seemed like you know they they were going to let it play out. It seemed like it was headed towards being done by by the time the season the games actually started but uh i mean it's going to be something that he's going to be asked about if there's no you know plea deal or anything else that kind of comes uh, in august yeah this is really the only uh, the, there's been some other headlines obviously people are aware of with the the marijuana stuff um and it's not great you don't you don't love that but i i Listening to Frost, I think he feels pretty good about their peer leadership and how they're holding each other accountable, even despite that. And that might sound funny to some people, but that's that whole marijuana thing is just a fight that every staff across this con- country is going to have to have, um, getting guys convinced, like, you cannot do this when you're playing at this level because it's against the rules whether you think it's a good rule or a stupid rule it's a rule and so you got to respect it so that that's been another thing but I, I think all those guys who had those minor headlines they'll be fine to go but yeah the Maurice Washington thing I, I guess I wouldn't anticipate seeing him in the opener unless this thing gets solved uh, you know before it when you went through and, and we had kind of a series that jumped around from different positions to different positions, Brunts kind of looked at the, the overarching thing. BC named a player that people might have forgotten about, and I wrote about some recruits that are in the weeds of, of Nebraska's board for each of these positions. When you looked at running back, Brian, 
who jumped out to you that maybe if let's say Maurice Washington is unavailable for even a brief period of time, who could be some guys that benefit in that situation? I think a lot's riding on Ramir Johnson, to be honest. Um, just because I, I felt, and maybe you guys had a different takeaway, but I didn't think they left the spring thinking the answers were necessarily there at that point. Like, some of those guys, maybe they were guys who could be fourth or fifth on the depth chart, but I didn't feel like anybody just jumped out where it's like, oh, this guy's going to be right in the mix to start. I mean, it, the Brody belt story was nice and all, but I got the feeling like his time would be – you know, if he can help, it's going to be down the road, and I, I didn't sense it being right away. Jalen Bradley, I just didn't hear a ton about in the spring, honestly, so I, I didn't see that him really on the rise. And so Ramir Johnson's a nice kind of change of pace from everything we know about him to Dedrick Mills, I think. So you're hoping that he can be that home run hitter. And I think the one thing that's nice is running back is a position based a lot off instinct, and guys can play relatively early as compared to maybe the defensive or offensive line where it's sometimes hard to get on the field at first. And I still think that Wandale's going to have some sort of impact in as all of this back. too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think he's going to spend most of his time as a receiver, but there was times when we were in there, and I distinctly remember around the goal line work that they were doing in the spring, they used him as a, you know, running back lined up behind Adrian Martinez or next yep. to him uh, a lot. And so that's – I wouldn't discount him getting snaps as looking like a true running back at times, especially early in the season, uh, you know, putting a bunch of stuff on film and a lot of different ways that you can kind of use him. So uh, he's a name. And then I I think you even wrote about him, Wyatt Mazur. Yeah. Uh, Another guy that he has enough ability that I think that you can use him in different ways, sneak him in in different packages. Never a guy that I think he's going to get 10 touches in a game. But maybe there's a couple packages that are built to take advantage of different defensive looks that you've set up, and then you get them in, and you turn them loose. So I, I think he's a guy that uh, can have a, a small, you know, sort of offsetting of, of Maurice Washington. But there's nobody that's just uh, you plug in and you're getting the same guy because Maurice is so different mm-hmm. in that he's the opposite of Wandale. You're going to line him up at running back, but there's going to be plays where he's lined up at wide receiver yeah. as a slot wide receiver, and he's going to be very dangerous in that regard. Uh, you, you don't have to look much further than the Wisconsin game to see where some of these Big Ten teams are really going to struggle with what Maurice Washington can do. Why Missouri is really interesting because there's some people who just bat him away and say, nah, he can't, he couldn't do it. I, I don't know. I bat him. I, I didn't bat him, did I? You You're just being like quiet, a, so I bat him oh, like yeah. a beach ball? I wasn't even expecting you to react in all honesty. No, I was, I was trying to get a pronunciation. I'm sorry. Just sitting here in your whaler's hat, ignoring everything. Yeah. Which which name? Uh, the the French kid on the basketball team. Oh, so Ivan Wedryogo. Yes, him. Oh, very good. I I mean I do radio now. I have to learn. Yeah, you're a big radio guy. I get it wrong the first nine times, but eventually I'm corrected enough that I remember. What about Ronald Tompkins? I I think as a name, and you said it's it pronounced Tompkins. <laughs> Team joke over here. Was, we were all over that. That was kind one. of yeah. an old man joke a little bit. I don't know. Sorry. What about Ronald Tompkins? Well, I think those close to him in his camp kind of hope he redshirts this year. Yeah. And so he can get that extra time, uh, you know, when you've had two serious knee injuries in two consecutive years. But I 
I am interested in early in camp to kind of get the feel on if the coaching staff at Nebraska thinks, well, he's ready physically, he can be in the mix here or not. That's that's one of the early questions. I think that's something we asked Scott Frost tomorrow, honestly. Like, wh- how do you feel about where Ronald Tompkins is at going into this? Uh, how do you kind of evaluate if he can be in the competition this year or has to wait? What – what sort of answer do you expect that he'd actually give there? Probably not what we want, but I think it's <laughs> – well, No, I, and I, I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't ask the question. I'm just – I'm really curious because sometimes, like, Frost is unique and where you, you throw him the question because you need to get him on the record as to at least saying something about it, yeah. and you're not anticipating he's going to say anything. And then he'll just give you this answer that you, you weren't expecting at all. So I'd be curious because we haven't heard a lot about Tompkins – I'd be curious, you know, just what Frost has to say about his initial impression of the guy since yes. he got here early in June, regardless of whether it means for his fall camp or not. Yeah, I, th- I, I think he's a good topic. And I think he could, if he feels like for sure, like, yeah, he's not quite ready, he might say that. So I think if he doesn't go there and he's kind of just general, you know that it's still we're figuring this thing out. So there, there is something we'll, we'll gather from his answer. Let's uh, let's jump away from running backs, and we'll move to a different position here. I want to talk about tight ends. I want to – I kind of want to pick your guys' brain as to how much of a jump you would expect production-wise from year one in this system to year two with the tight ends. Because I guess to me they seem like the natural – when you talk about replacing the Stanley Morgan production, you talk about a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit here. I think the tight end room – can fill up a not unsubstantial amount of that. It's Sean Becton when he was on Sports Nightly like a week or so ago was talking about that group, and I mean it's it's the same cast of characters as last year. And what what I think they'll be better at doing this year is I think you're going to see more of Raftall and Allen because they're physically ready to be every down tight ends, which they weren't last year. And they, they want to stretch the field more. So I, I think you're going to see more plays similar to the long game that Austin Allen had at Ohio State or the, the catches that Kurt Raftall made that were a little bit longer. Um, and, and, you know, they, they love what Jack Stoll did, but that's that was their criticism of him was, you know, how do you get a little bit bigger plays from him in the passing game? And I think that's where you'll see the improvement, which, you know, will help make up for – or at least give those wide receivers time to, to kind of come along. So I, I think they'll be improved. I, you know, I'm always a little bit skeptical on, you know, talk this time of year about guys being able to do certain things on the field that they weren't the year before. But, you know, if if Raftal and Allen can kind of be interchangeable with Stoll, that that gives you a dimension that you didn't have last year in the offense consistently. And I, I think that's where you'll see the biggest improvement from that group, let alone a guy like Katerian Legron, who I think is going to be more of a factor in the passing game uh, than maybe those other guys even, just because of of what his skill set is. I think a good bar for the tight ends is, you could look up the exact number, but still ended up with, what, around 300 yards or something like that? And Jordan Aikens at UCF a couple years ago in that offense, I think was close to 600. I think if they could kind of at least get to the middle of that, where you get a you get a tight end who's you know gets about 450 yards, and then you, your second guy maybe adds 200 some, and the third guy's just behind him. If you could get a 
three guys like that with numbers who add up to about, eh, you're talking about 800 yards there, that to me is doable. And I think a good goal for that group. And I agree with Brunt. There's a lot of clever plays in this offense that we saw like against Ohio State where you could really get those guys out in space with a lot of room to run just off the design of their scheme. Allen had that big catch on one of the coolest plays Nebraska ran last year where you yeah. saw the, the linebacker for Ohio State was just in freaking no man's land where he's trying to cover, I think, Ozigbo or somebody out of the backfield, and then Allen just slips out. They were actually ran that play, remember, later in the game on a pretty key third down, and it was designed perfectly again, and Raftall dropped it. Remember that? It was a, it was a bad drop, but the, there's stuff like that that I think is really going to feature that group. Yard, Yardage-wise, Stoll was at 245. Okay, 245. Uh, Raftall was at 67. Allen was at 54, so you're – just over 300. See, that's a big jump to get to 800, what I'm saying. But, I mean, if they can get close think, to doubling what they yeah. had. I think they'll be closer to 550, 550, 600. Um, the, the reason I bring up tight end is I wanted to bring up the guy that you mentioned is the you don't forget about, and that is Katerian Legron, who Sean Becton has talked about a lot or did in the spring. I don't know if he did during his sports nightly appearance. But that's a guy that I think they really like. And what, one of the things, and this, this is a, a different point than just Legron, it's all of the guys, I think they can be pretty effective for him in the red zone too. I think that's, that's something that, you know, Nebraska's going to have to to be, they're going to score a lot on big plays, but they also have to finish drives with touchdowns and not field goals. And to do that, you don't have Stanley Morgan, you got to have some dependence on other guys, and a lot of your offense is designed to go east-west. Well, some of your north-south threats can be Jack Stoll or Austin Allen. And using some of the size of Allen and Raftall or Legron, when you're down in the red zone, you get those matchups that you like. Back shoulder fade, Austin Allen. They like the fade. They like the fade. Fade the fade. Uh, so I, I kind of look at those guys being uh, pretty important for what they're, mm-hmm. they're going to do. What, what else, um, as we jump into it for real now this week, um, is there a guy or two that weren't, people haven't talked as much about that you're like, oh, I'm pretty interested in him if, if he can do it? Well, Will Honus being completely clear, yeah. I, that Honus-Miller battle isn't one that anybody really is talking about, but Honus was brought up a lot by Mo Berry, like a lot, when, when I was standing over there talking about him. Anytime you talk about the linebackers, he would mention, you know, He's pretty excited about Will Honus, and so that was someone that people were excited about. Then he had kind of a tepid debut, and then he got hurt. And I distinctly remember his head coach, Fit Butler, telling me, you know, Will, it took him a year to figure out what he was doing in junior college, and then it was just full go. Hmm. And if it's the same transition to the FBS, and it took him a year, and, you know, now he's kind of cleared up, and he's got to come back from the injury and all of that too mentally. You could be getting – I mean, if you're getting the guy that they thought they were getting and you're putting that with Mo Berry, you're inside – and you still have Colin Miller, too, to use as well. Yeah. Your inside linebackers are going to be a lot better, and that gives more time for Jackson Hanna and, when he gets healthy, Nick Henrich to develop. Yeah, inside linebacker isn't as much of a dire situation as people think if basically one of those two guys really steps up, Honus or Miller. The other one that's interesting to me is uh, – 
other position battle. Someone on our board mentioned this. Is Markel Dismuke against the field is, I think, how they described it. And I like that way of thinking. It You know, you've got some young defensive backs that I think a couple of them are going to play. I don't know exactly what their roles are, if they come off the bench or what. But Dismuke had a good spring, but now he's got to have a good camp, you know, to keep off some, some young talent. So I think that's going to be an interesting one, too. The, the one thing that caught my ear was Javon DeWitt uh, on Sports Nightly saying that he would basically challenging Caleb Tanner in some ways to have a big year and the fact that he would be disappointed if he didn't. Um, you know, Tanner really wasn't out there in the spring um, much at all. Played last year 12 games, primarily special teams. I think he had like 12, 12 to 15 tackles somewhere yeah, in there. Um, but that you get him making a jump. I think they everybody feels really good about Alex Davis and, and, and his ability to finally kind of put it all together as a senior. Tyron Ferguson at that group and, and JoJo Doman is kind of the Swiss Army knife. That That's four pretty good options at that spot that, you know, I, I think some people would say that that's a, a position of question going into fall camp. But, I mean, you, if you get, you know, a guy like Tanner that was a big recruiting win for the staff uh, going, uh, that, that's he, he's an intriguing guy for sure, I think. And, you know, he was light last year, I think. Um, I don't know that he was physically ready for the Big Ten, but uh, we'll, we'll see if that changes. Yeah, linebackers so interesting because you have to describe them as thin right now based off proof that's on film and yet we could be talking at the end of september like yeah it's not that bad you know they've they've got options the two deep looks pretty good caleb tanner's come along garrett nelson's a nice little guy you could throw in situationally his first year uh same at middle backer you know, with Miller and Honus, and then if you get one of the true freshmen to step up, they kind of like Joey Johnson as a walk-on guy who's put on size, who gives you a little more depth there. Uh, so it it's it's not a, a position group where you uh, want to play the trumpets or anything about right now, but it could be, it could be okay. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get the wheel out, figure out our topic of the week. And we'll talk a little bit recruiting and see where things are at for the Huskers there. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, do we want to go, Bruns, do you want to go recruiting or the wheel first? Uh, the wheel. We're, we're going get, with the wheel. Get, we're getting towards the end of wheel season. Uh, BC has apparently spun the wheel. and Yeah, you spun it without telling us. Oh, sorry. Spin it. Premature spin. Spin it, BC. 
that was a premature spin. That doesn't count. Look at that thing go. Spin it, spin it, spin it. I'm going to be disappointed once we get into the season and the wheel's no longer a thing. What do we do with the wheel? Doesn't have to end. We just add. What do we do with the wheel then? Well, you replace the things on the wheel. You put new topics on it. Okay, there it's the wheel landed on a topic. All right. (laughs) This is a very interesting question. Is it hard to read the uh, handwriting on the wheel? I can read the question. I (laughs) I mentally read it first and then was confused by why it even came up, but. All right, here we go. <laughs> Do you get mad about running up the score? Excessive celebration. I think this is exuberant. I said exuberant, yeah. Exuberant celebration <laughs> or anything of that like. So basically, I mean, this is sort of the bat flip conversation. Yeah, this is, a, this is an unwritten rules question, right? Yeah. What do you think, Bruns? Well, I'm very pro bat flip. Uh, I think I've been consistent in my views on that. Um I'm always of the opinion that if you, if you don't want the you you don't want somebody bat flipping on you don't don't give that room service fastball right down the middle on a, a, a 2 0 count. That's an old man take yeah. right there. Why don't you stop him then? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like wouldn't the old man take be he needs to wear one in the ear? Yeah, well, I mean that's maybe also true. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I get pissed off about is it happened this week uh, with the Rangers and A's. Oh, it did. Where uh, basically an A's player looked a little too long at a home run. Was that Sunday? Uh, it was Monday because it was the, the makeup the, game. The, was it Monday? It no, was, it was it was Saturday. Saturday, Saturday, night, Saturday yeah. night. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, stared stared a little bit too long at a home run. He's a gorgeous home run. Yeah, Rangers pitcher yeah. comes in and starts barking at Ramon Lariano and at Laser Ramon. And so that's dumb to me. Like, you gave up the home run, just shut up. Like, you know, if you're going to hit him, hit him. But don't. You're going to yell, go, go get it out of the ocean. Yeah, right? go get it out of the ocean. Um,. So I, I, I'm pro bat flip. I enjoy watching YouTube videos of Korean bat flips um, in my free time. And generally, I don't have a problem with running up the score. It's one thing if it's Nebraska and Bethune-Cookman. If it's Nebraska and Minnesota, or you know either way, last year being what it was, or the year before that being what it was, I, I think uh, you, you line up and run your offense and let the chips fall where they may. Who's one team on the schedule this year? You think if Nebraska are having a fine day of it, they would keep that foot down firmly? Is it? I say Colorado. <laughs> I think there's been enough buildup yeah. from the injury to Martinez last year and the dislike that goes way back. And then the, even though I think it was kind of taken out of context around here, the quote from uh, Mel, Tucker. The, Mel Tucker, which yeah. I thought was actually honestly a fit. Yeah. Yeah. It's true, Nebraska hasn't done a lot lately, but still – it came out a certain I, way. So if it's one game, I would I'd vacillate between two teams that have just done it to Nebraska a lot recently. Mm-hmm. Whereas, or you know, if you really want to make something pop on a scroll, what about hanging like seventy on Wisconsin? Yeah, I mean that's a team where I think a little payback fans around here would would feel a lot better about things if Nebraska just did that mm-hmm. once. Uh, to the or Ohio State is the other one. I mean, 
that's that's the team that has happened to you know Justin Fields has the worst game of his career and can't stop Matt Schaubing it with pick sixes, and uh, you know Nebraska just takes it to him. I I can see both of those scenarios where the Colorado one from a historic perspective and then a little bit of the the bulletin board and then the fake Lavisca Chenault quote. Yeah, um, which is also a little part of that. But maybe a few guys in the locker room think it's real, so they're. <laughs> so, but I, I really think if if Nebraska just smashed either Wisconsin or Ohio State, there'd be there'd be some proud people here. See, this was maybe a, a bad question that somebody put on the wheel at first, but I think it's getting a, a decent subtopic. Well, it's a bad question. I just was surprised by it. What would be the most <laughs> cathartic thing that could happen? It's kind of playing off this to Nebraska yeah. football. What is it this year? What's the most cathartic thing on the field that like a fan could see me like, oh, I feel good again. It's you, uh, you beat up in Iowa, yeah, to win the division. Just beat them up. I, in the I don't trenches. think anything would be more cathartic for Nebraska fans than to finish first in the Big Ten West and doing it while beating Iowa at home. I mean, I know that we're not supposed to talk about that as a rivalry and everything else. But it has definitely reached the point where Nebraska has lost four straight games. They have only, you know, they've only gotten blown out really in what one of those four? Is that fair? The the twenty. Well, they got blown out in two of them, 2016, yep. 2017. So in in twenty fifteen and and twenty eighteen, they were right there. They just didn't win. I think Nebraska fans, you know, you win the Big Ten West and you do it by putting Iowa down and. I think that would be a pretty cathartic. I mean, it's been a long time since Nebraska's been good, uh, let alone good enough to win a division, um, let alone having actually done it. So I, I think all of those things. I mean, that would make for a very nice Thanksgiving holiday for people around here. You think? I agree with that. I mean, I, I think you could go Iowa, you go Wisconsin, in kind of the same way. Where like you basically beat them. It's kind of at their own game, basically. Where you know. Physical football, uh, you know, if you're playing Wisconsin, standing up to the, to that line and, and really kind of shutting Taylor down. I mean, that would be pretty cathartic. I mean, I one to me would be, let's say you're you're undefeated going into that Ohio State game. There's a lot of buildup, a lot of buzz, and you 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 win that game. I mean, that yeah. it, it's been a while since Nebraska has gone into a a game with buildup and really held its own. Yeah, and and looked good doing it, and you know I. It might be a different Ohio State team. There, you've got a new head coach, whatever. But I mean that that would be the kind of launching pad game that I, I think people feel pretty good about, and especially not kind of having that we just crap the bed feeling that that's kind of been around this program in big games for. But then they go and crap the bed a, the next a decade week at home against Northwestern and Pat Fitzgerald. <laughs> Trap game. It's <laughs> not a trap. Game. That that would be therapy though. Like to to go toe to toe with Ohio State. Even if they didn't win the thing, but it was just like a four quarter brawl and it was intense in that stadium for three and a half hours. And you have all those recruits on the sideline, which it's gonna be a big weekend and a particular that, ESPN pregame show in town. Yeah, it could be. That whatever that mm-hmm. show is called could be there. College Football Daily? Yes, I think so. <laughs> that's I think what that's it correct. is. Oh, the BTN Tailgate Show. <laughs> yeah. My bad. Jerry DiNardo is on the scene. Yeah. And Francis <laughs> McGillicuddy. Yeah. Or Francois McGillicuddy. Yeah. He'll be there. 
I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to throw that in there. No, I think I think Husker fans, until there's a couple games like that under the lights, they're kind of ducking behind the couch, you know, for those those things. There's been too many years of failures. All right. Well, let's finish up with a little uh, recruiting discussion. <laughs> Finishing on a high note. Yeah, a very high note. Uh we don't know exactly the, the situation with Jakeem Green, the conversations I've been having since Monday. Um, parties at Nebraska, parties at Highland, still aren't sure what, uh, what could happen with Green there. I think everybody's been in contact with him, but I don't think they've been given any sort of clear indication as to where that's going to go. So that'll probably happen after this podcast goes live, so we don't really have any reaction to that. Jamar Sakona a very important Nebraska target, one that Tony Tuioti had invested a lot of time on. Nebraska had brought out for the spring game, and things looked good. Committed to USC yesterday, I think a little bit of a surprise. Uh, not so much because the momentum had trended there over the weekend, but I, I don't think people had saw that coming, and I certainly think Nebraska felt like they were in really good shape going into the summer uh, and then going through the summer with the idea that he'd visit for the Ohio State game. So, with Sakona, you kind of have a wait-and-see mode of, of what could happen in terms of the, the long-term picture at USC. But I, I think that one's going to sting a little bit for Nebraska because they were in such a good position this spring. And, and that's kind of been the case with several of these guys that they haven't been able to, to get to say yes and they see end up somewhere else. Connor O'Toole, a tight end slash receiver, out of New Mexico, six foot three, two hundred and five pounds, was on campus on Monday. He finishes up his campus trips tomorrow or today at Kansas State. Excuse me, he was on campus Tuesday. Finishes up his trips today at Kansas State, and then we will be checking in with him to see kind of where he's at. He could be making a quick decision. So that's this kind of a guy that uh, you could see Nebraska end up with potentially to fill their tight end spot, which I didn't know if they would take because of Travis Vokalek. But O'Toole is pretty interesting. Uh, ran a 10-7, 100 uh, meter dash, just moving for a guy that's six foot three, hundred or two hundred and five pounds. It's moving period. Yeah, so he would certainly be kind of a an interesting weapon, mm-hmm. I think. And, and I'd be curious, you know, if they'd even really put a label as to whether he'd be a tight end or a wide receiver until he gets here for a couple years. So keep an eye on that. But otherwise, we're about to enter the dead period again. Nebraska starts over with all of their official visits. They got it down to one this year, so that means they use 55. We'll have 56 available starting in August. And I actually threw this question to Brunts, and he didn't bother to respond to it on a text message yesterday. Jeez, that's so Brunts. It happens a lot. <laughs> um, do you see with that 11 a.m. kick, because a lot of high school teams will have started, uh, Nebraska hasn't played that early on an opening weekend and normally have at least a few guys in for official visits. I expect they still will. But it seems like, you know, last year where they had a lot of guys in for that Akron game, I kind of expect a smaller number to start the year. Yeah, that's – I mean, the one benefit you had with that weekend is it's Labor Day, but at the same time, that you know, 11 a.m. kicks are so tough to, to get guys in early. Um, and, I mean, some high schools even start – like they play like a zero week essentially yep. starting the, the, the third week in August. So – That'll be interesting to see how they play the, that. The twenty, uh, the twenty third. I think there's already yeah. games starting for some of Nebraska's commitments. Yeah, so it might be a little bit lighter um, with, with the eleven a.m. kick. You, you kind of hope as you start to see times rolling out um, for kick times that you know you, you avoid that Fox eleven a.m. game because that's where they're going to be sticking a lot of their premier games this year. 
is early. So uh, we'll see. But yeah, it, I would expect it to be maybe a little bit lighter or, you know, maybe you, you bring him in later on Friday and, and keeping him around until a little bit later on Sunday with the weekend. You never know. Yeah. Well, the nice thing is with that 11 a.m., if you do get them in on Friday, you got Saturday night, and then they can go out Sunday morning. They get back, and they basically have Sunday night, Monday, wherever they're at. So right. it uh, it works out well if they don't have a game that Friday, if they don't start until after Labor Day, which schools in Minnesota. So Caden Johnson uh, would be someone to, to potentially keep an eye on as a potential visitor for that first weekend if they don't want to bring them out for a bigger game um, because that's what they did with Bryce Benhart because schools don't start until after Labor Day in some of those districts, but you'd have to get the waiver from the NCAA in that regard, too. So all of that fun stuff, of course, we will have whoever pops up as visitors for Nebraska this season at Husker 24-7. Along with everything else, Nebraska's opening season press conferences on Thursday. We'll have tons of coverage from that. Fan day on Friday. Season kicks off. And uh, I don't know, you guys ready to go? You ready for another year in Nebraska football? I'm well rested. I'm ready, yeah. Yes. All right, well, a man of few words gives us one and the only one that matters. And uh, as always, check out the website, and we'll be back next week.